0: Wouldn't you take your Bibles with me this morning and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, Sometimes it's hard to come up with a a message to preach. (laughs) I wish it was more automatic than what it is. I, I try to try to stay to either book studies or chapter studies, but I always like to stay verse by verse. I just think it's important uh, that we read and teach the scriptures the way they're written, and that we don't just, like so many do, they pick a topic or a subject, and they draw one verse out and they build a theology or a doctrine on one particular verse, trying to prove one particular point, point. and I don't want to do that. I don't think that's the call of God. But I I do think sometimes that a lot of what I have to say to you as your pastor comes from personal experience. It's born from the reality of who and what I am by nature, that I, like you, deal with problems and difficulties and remaining sinfulness, that we're none of us, from the pulpit to the pew, all of us, the best are at our worst. We are all absolutely the same. We are sinners saved by God's grace. And we must always keep that in mind that God, and this is what's so important to the true child of God, we believe on him who justifieth, the declares righteous, the ungodly. Not the new and improved or the new and improving. It's not we're getting better. All right, we're somehow or another something now that we weren't before. This thing of salvation involves one grand glorious truth, the glory of God. That's why I read that to you in Exodus chapter 33 and would encourage you again to read Exodus chapter 34. The, the Lord was pleased to do what Moses asked. He said, if I have found grace in your eyes, Show me your glory. And God said, I will do this thing that you've requested. I'll show you my glory. I will declare my name before you. And so at the beginning, as we start this study, let us settle this issue to begin with. What is the glory of God? I'll tell you what, it's got everything to do with the name. I'll declare my name before you. Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So, God's name is what? Here it is. He tells us, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. In other words, in this matter of salvation, it's all about what the Lord does. It's got nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with me. And when God's pleased to reveal himself to his children, folks, we, a warfare, as I told them in the Sunday Bible class, hour, a warfare begins. And it's a never-ending warfare. There will be an ongoing struggle in your life, in my life, as long as we are above the dirt. Never going to end. We will struggle with sin. We we do as God's children. We strive against it, do we not? We struggle against it. We want to overcome it. But try as we can. Put whatever energy and effort into it we can. Miserably, what do we find ourselves often doing? Rephrase that. What do we find ourselves always doing? Our hearts cry is the same as the Apostle Paul. The good I want to do, I don't do, and the evil I don't want to do, that's exactly what I find myself doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That's the Apostle Paul, and he's crying, who's going to set me free from this this sinful humanity that's still in me? I thank my God through Christ Jesus my Lord. That's the only way we can be delivered. But now that doesn't mean we have to live in this world worried and anxious and upset and struggling and often and always thinking, well, am I going to heaven? Matter of fact, you think about this. You know it's the will of God. I, I can say this conclusively. It is the will of God that every elect, redeemed, justified, regenerated, and converted child of God have assurance, and I emphasize this this morning, have assurance of their acceptance, acceptance before God through Christ's accomplished work of redemption. You say, how can you make that statement? I make it based on the Word of God. Listen to what the Apostle John said. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record God gave of himself. So listen to me. This tells me to begin with God has given a testimony concerning what his son accomplished while he was here. And one of two things are true this morning. Either you believe God's testimony concerning Christ or you don't believe it. If you believe God's testimony, what? You have eternal life. If you don't believe what God has said of His Son, what do you do? You make God a liar. And His truth's not in you. And this is the testimony. This is the record. This is the witness of God, not the witness of man. God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in the one that the Lord God witnesses of, His Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Now listen to this. Believe the record. Why do he write it down? So you may feel with doubt and anxiety and worry and fearful and fretful all your life. No, these things have I written unto you that you might know, have confidence. And remember what Paul said, I know whom I believe. Not believed in, I know whom I believed. That's what he's calling on us to do. That's what John's called on us to do. Believe the record. I know whom I believe. And I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against this day. It, you believe on the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life and that you might continue. That's the way that word actually bears out, that you may believe on the name of, of the Son of God, that you might continue to believe. In other words, we keep on believing. Times are tough. What? Believe Christ. Believe the record. We're on the mountaintop and everything's going great and we're close to the Lord and we're in prayer and we're in study and we're maturing in the faith. Don't forget him. You fall into the depths of King David. What do you do? You believe the promise. The promise of his dear son. The writer of Hebrews tells us Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, be not carried away by different and strange doctrines. Well, you gotta go to church to be saved. That's a different and strange doctrine. You've got to be moral to be saved. Different and strange doctrine. You gotta eradicate sin in your life. A different and strange doctor. Be don't care, don't be carried about by those things. How do we know? For it is a good thing that the heart, by the heart, what do we mean? The innermost part of the man or woman, the believing child of God. If that's who he's writing to, that's who the writer of Hebrews is writing to. Justified, say it's a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Not with meats. And when you see that word meats, it's not talking about brisket like we ate last night. It's not talking about a piece of chicken. It's, not, it's actually not referring to food at all. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an earthly term. The meat is connected to what? Everything down here. And he says be it, the heart needs to be established with grace, not with the things of time and sense." which have not profited them that have been occupied their inner... In other words, all that stuff that men thinks that they're saved by. You want me to give you a good illustration of what this is? You, you ought to write besides Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 and 9. Write Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. That's me. Paul, What when he talks about all those things, if anybody has any reason to think that they're saved more than me, I got you beat. I was a Pharisee. I was a Jew of Jews. I was not a half breed. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. What's, that's meats. Doesn't, didn't profit him. Because he said, All that that was gained to me, it's, 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 salvation's by grace in its entirety. Every justified saint can and truly does glorify God, you know what? By taking him at his word. The father of the faith for Abraham, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according as it is written, that which was uh, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. When he was about a hundred years old, God told him, "You're gonna have a child in your old age." He's a hundred, and Sarah's ninety-nine. When he was about 100 years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. 99 years, if you, you know, in our generation now, if people hadn't had children by the time they're about 35, it's getting toward the twilight. 99. Never had a child. Been promised, laughed about it. God challenged her over her laugh. You're going to have a child in your old age. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith. And by being strong in faith, believing God's promise, gave glory to God. You want to give glory to God this morning? Not this. Not hallelujah. Not a loud amen. How do we give glory to God? Being fully persuaded. Convinced that what God hath promised. What's he promised us? This is a promise he's promised us. He promised it. Eternal life. What he's promised, he's able to perform. Now, we don't honor and glorify God the Father or his Son or his Holy Spirit by being filled with doubt and unbelief. We constantly find ourselves, do we not? Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And if any sinner that ever walked on this planet truly understood the infinite grace and mercy of God, that he had been so pleased to freely bestow on his people the writer of this epistle, this apostle Paul. I thank Christ Jesus my Lord, who hath enabled me Or that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Well, Paul, you deserved it. You were at the top of your class. No, hold on. God put this man into me who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But here's the key. But I obtained mercy. Obtain mercy because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am, not I was. Who I am, chief. Howbeit, I, I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering, for a pattern to them, which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. In other words, if God can save this man who was a, a aberrant God hater who was persecuting the church of God, who by our Lord's own mouth said, Paul, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Saul had never met Christ till then. But our Lord accused him of persecuting him. Why? He hated God's church and God's truth. And see, here's the thing, understanding and believing this to be true, you know what it did? It gave Paul, and this is what I'm trying my best at 65 years of age to do, it gave him patience in dealing with other sinners, like these in this chapter that we're going to look at, because these people had some problems. These Corinthians were in a mess. But you know what they still were? They were believing justified saints. Go, go read what was going on there. Look how he opens this chapter. Therefore, verse 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's man's conscience in the sight of God. Now, I'd have you to notice to begin with, Paul didn't put himself in the ministry. He didn't just one day decide, you know what, I think I'm going to be a minister of Christ. But was graciously given this responsibility, and he was called, and literally what he says here, God put him in the ministry. Had no option in it. He plainly states, we have this ministry. And I got to look at it. that word ministry, translated ministry, it means one who executes the commands of another. But then if you look a little further on, you know what it is? the, The word is actually the word that we get our word deacon from. And one of the definitions of it is this, those who have the responsibility of preparing and delivering food. Christ said, my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And Paul says, we have this ministry, what we have to prepare and deliver the food of God to God's people. This ministry he received, it wasn't a calling to preach the law. You hear me? It wasn't a calling to preach the law, but it was a command to preach the glory of God revealed in the gospel of God's grace, which he stains plainly in the next chapter. All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Here's that ministry. Hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul says we have received this ministry. What ministry? The ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed to us. Me and you too. What's he committed to us? This word of reconciliation. That's what we're to do. And see, here's the thing, having been given this ministry to declare God's grace and mercy to all it would hear, Paul showed a lot of graciousness to these Corinthian believers to whom he was writing. He did. He put up with a lot. But here's here's the thing I asked myself as I was looking at that this week. What gave him such a gracious spirit in dealing with other justified saints? Other justified saints. I tell you what, my generation... I think sometimes the best thing you could ever do is stay off of Facebook. Maybe make it all about politics or everything else. Stay away from the things of Christ. Because I tell you what, too many times, too often, I have seen brothers and sisters in Christ go after each other worse than anybody in this world. I mean worse than anybody in this world. And yet they don't even, you'd think they're not brethren. These things ought not be so. We need to understand and recognize that God's children, all of us, I think that's the problem. We forget who and what we are. All of us have problems. All of us are humans. All of us can be in error. Now, we can't lose that which has been given to us, but we can be in error, can we not? And we need somebody that will correct us, not with an iron rod, but in love and patience. And kindness and compassion, remembering the hole of the pit from which they had been digged from, what God set us free from. You know know what gave him such patience? As we have received mercy. We faint not. To the Apostle Paul, it wasn't a matter of doubt or question As to whether or not he stood before God justified. (laughs) You say, oh, you can't be that confident. I'm telling you, it it never crossed his mind whether or not he was unjustified. Because, see, here's the thing if that were the question that constantly plagued his mind, he could not and he would not have stated, what do we not do? We don't faint. Matter of fact, you think about it. If Paul constantly questioned whether or not he was justified, he would have fainted at all times. Just like every other man who makes a sinner's justification conditional, something they can't be certain about. Why they're in such doubt, such fear. That original word translated, we faint, you know what it means? It means to be utterly spiritless. Now, think about that. We faint not. In other words, Paul says, I'm never utterly spiritless. It also means to be weary, be worn out. I'm never worn out from this message. Never get, I never grow weary of talking about and hearing about my blessed Lord. And I'm never exhausted. That's what that word means. Paul declared boldly and dogmatically, we faint not. In other words, we're not utterly spiritless. We're not worn out. We're not exhausted. And those who believe God, we shouldn't be either. You hear me? I love what Robert Hawker wrote concerning Paul's words. He said, for as long as this is questionable in a man or woman's mind, a believer's mind and conscience, there will be no settled, steady, firm state of trusting in God the Father's covenant love. Christ the Son's all-sufficient merit, blood, and righteousness. But when a soul is conscious, he hath received mercy. All his or her fainting ceases. As you have received mercy, faint not. Paul told Timothy, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. He also told Timothy, for this cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against this day, that day. We have a, Him in this little old book, one of the first ones that we added into it, it's actually the first one, glory, glory, I'm forgiven. And one of the stanzas in it goes this way, I just take him at his word. This God has sworn they shall not perish. Who believe on me there. That's the faith of God's elect. That's the, faith, that's the faith that glorifies and honors God. That's believing the record. In spite of myself, in spite of my failures, in spite of my folly, in spite of my remaining sin, He's faithful. Well, that verse just keeps shooting through my mind like, like it's in the Lord's mercy. We're not consumed, His compassions fail not. They're new. Every morning, great is thy faithfulness. That's the problem. Religion's put it all on, on us, on you and me. But here's the thing. Based on Paul's words in this chapter, I want to spend some time this morning, just real quick, trying to confirm to all our minds the importance, the absolute importance and the necessity of being steadfast in the faith and hope Then enable this man, the Apostle Paul, to say, we faint not. That's where I want us at this morning. We faint not. Now, I know that there are those who have professed to believe the gospel, claim that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord their righteousness, and they're filled with doubt and uncertainty. And I'm not concerned about those who have made a mere profession of faith, who have made a a change in their lives or in their attitudes and started walking a certain way and headed a certain direction. But I am desperately concerned about those who are truly my brothers and sisters in Christ, who have rested in Christ Jesus as the Lord Lord our righteousness, who live constantly in a state of doubt and suspense concerning this blessed and precious place of faith that we're talking about this morning. That we faint not. And here's the thing. The cause of that doubt, and I find this in my own life, the cause of the doubt and the cause of the suspense, you know where it comes from? It comes from the deficiency of our faith and the weakness of our faith. We don't use the means God has given us to grow in grace and knowledge of Him. It's not any defect in the scriptural truth. Not at all. The life of faith in God's chosen people according to the scriptures, you know what it's supposed to be? This is what our lives should be. Trust, assurance, confirmation. Long before our Lord Jesus Christ came into this earth to accomplish His work, the prophet Isaiah said this, and the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness shall be quietness and assurance forever. Think about that. Before Christ even came, the work of righteousness, what that? That's, that's Christ's work. That's what he did. What is that work? Peace. And then what they said of our Lord, the angels? Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. Our Lord said, not as the world gives you peace, I give you my peace. Right? That's not a hypothetical. isn't a maybe hope so situation. Let me read it to you in Young's literal translation. And the work of righteousness hath been peace. So he made peace with God. He reconciled the world, God's elect to himself. In the service of righteousness. Keeping quiet and confidence unto the end of the age. Believe in him. That's the promise of God. God by the same prophet Isaiah declared. I've, I've used this one, preached on it. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. Remember that, what I told you? That perfect and peace is the same word. Thou wilt keep him in shalom, shalom. Peace, peace. Double peace. Who's going to be kept in peace, peace? Whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in they. Let me state this as clearly and as simply as I can. If there's any uncertainty concerning the justified state of a child of God, those sovereignly chosen by God the Father before the foundation of the world, before they had done any good or any evil, Those God the Son redeemed by His obedience unto death. Those God the Holy Spirit regenerates and converts in time under the preaching of the gospel. Those blessed promises Isaiah declared lose all their power and they're basically rendered useless. Think about that. In other words, the effect of righteousness is not quietness and peace. Those for whom Christ is the work of righteousness, they can't be said to have quietness and assurance of air forever as an effect of their interest in or dependence on the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, while the shadow of doubt remains in their mind as to whether or not they receive pardon and mercy and peace through the blood of the cross and were actually justified by his accomplished work at Calvary. Foundation of which every child of God, those truly taught of God, can have the full assurance of faith, which can keep them like the Apostle Paul from fainting. You know what it is? It's a heartfelt assurance and conviction that Christ, when he came into this world, sent <laughs> of the Father is assured of his church, he f- actually fulfilled the words of the prophet Daniel. Seventy weeks are determined upon the people and upon the holy city Listen to this. To finish the transgression. To make an end of sins. To make reconciliation for iniquity. And thank God for this. To bring in everlasting righteousness. Surely, Isaiah said, surely shall one say in the Lord, have I righteousness and strength and all that believe in Him She'll never be ashamed. Uh-huh. In this transaction, and this is what we've got to keep in our mind, in this transaction, this work between the Father and the Son, you know what work we're talking about? Reconciliation. Christ stood as our surety, our sponsor, our representative. And everything that we deserve, every sin, all the guilt, all the wrath, Everything that all the elect of all the ages deserve. You know what it did? It fell on our sponsor. Whether it was original sin in Adam, or actual guilt by own personal transaction in, in transgressions in time. But here's the thing: if one atom of guilt. Rests on me, not on atoned for in my conscience. Then Christ's work was not perfect and complete. In other words, if, if God was satisfied with Christ and He's the judge of all the earth, why can't we take Him at His word? Who Shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect. God that justifies, God that declares righteous. Who's he that condemneth? Who's the only one that condemns? Who's he that condemneth? It's Christ that died, yea, rather it is risen again, who's even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession. For the only one that can condemn us, where's he at? He's seated in the heavenlies. And according to Ephesians chapter 2, where are we at? seated together with him. Let me close by reading this. I, I read this this week, and I, I, I thought this was one of the best things that I've read in a while. I hate to read this lengthy of a portion, but I think it's important. And this is the conclusion that Robert Hawker made on this one verse that we've looked at this morning. He said, Now if I, or every child of God, whom God hath effectually called by his grace, believes the record." which God hath given of His dear Son. That is to say that God hath given to us eternal life, and that life is in His Son. And by virtue of the infinite value and preciousness of Christ's righteousness and bloodshed, they are justified from all things. Listen to this. How is it possible? How is it possible that there can be any suspense, any doubt? or misgivings on this grand assurance of the redeemed child of God's hope. Do look again and again at the blessed frame of mind Paul was in and which wholly arose from this one cause and recollect that this high privilege was not Paul's privilege only, But the whole church of God are equally begotten to it and equally entitled to it with the apostle because it ariseth not from any merit or service in Paul but the sole gift of God in Christ. Oh, my brother, if I, like like the apostle, you would faint not at any and all the exercises to which the Lord has, shall be pleased to call you, see to it that your, Paul's testimony, is your testimony. As we have received mercy, we faint not. The question in his closing that we have to ask ourselves is this Have we received mercy? And if he has shown mercy to us, huh? He'll never leave us nor forsake us, ever. Not once. Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed. I appreciate your presence. Lord bless you. Keep you till we see you next Lord's Day. Donald, if you would, dismiss us, please.